Welcome to the Sports on Point, episode 34. I'm your host this evening, Robert Williams, joined in studio by Matt Smith. Who would have thought that LaDainian Tomlinson would outscore Mike Goodson this week? This is ridiculous. Oh, I think you knew that. And as always, pushing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severance. Hey, welcome to the show, you guys. My name is Pod Severance. All right. uh, This week, we'll, we'll just head right into it. I don't know if I can after that, but <laughs> speaking of things we don't understand or things that we say, not us, but supposedly LeBron wants contraction and then contracts the fact that he said that he wanted that because he didn't understand the words. Matt, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, he's going on this rant about how great the NBA was in the 80s, and he's probably right. The NBA was pretty great in the 80s. There are a lot of great players, but... But he wouldn't know because he wasn't born yet. Yeah, that's that's he was born in '87. Fairly accurate. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's a he's a historian of the game, Pop. right? Historian of the game, right? Because you can in Akron, Ohio, when you're poor, get access to all of those classic NBA films. Well, it's on the interwebs. Did he have the interwebs? I don't know. His school did. He went yeah. to a private school. Okay. He's a historian now. Yeah, now that it now that it's convenient <laughs> now for him that to it's be. Convenient. <laughs> So, yeah, so he, he's talking about the, how great the NBA was in the 80s. And, of course, there were fewer teams in the NBA than there are now. There's been uh, a couple of expansions. Let's see, we got Toronto. We've got... Memphis. Memphis, who wasn't around. we got the Bobcats. We've got the Hornets and the Heat, who weren't around in the 80s. Oh, so, go figure. The Heat weren't yeah. around. So, I guess if we're going back to the 80s, then LeBron's got to be picked up and moved to another team, right? Yeah, I think that's the way you should do it. Pick the last five teams and boom, you're gone. Yeah, obviously the league got along fine without him before. I don't, I don't think it'll happen that way. And it's funny that one of the top actual NBA players is, is commenting about con- contraction. I'm intrigued to see how his fellow colleagues feel about this statement. Well, anytime that you're making a suggestion that, uh, let's see, could cause 75 union jobs, 25 coaching positions, and... Thousands of other chores and various duties that would no longer exist or be required. Uh, I'm for I, less chores. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for less duties. I'm for less chores. Think, more think, duties. I, I think I think Gilbert Arenas needs more duties, but that's just me. I can train a poop. <laughs> I feel like we've been there before, guys. We have been there before, and we're revisiting it Check because that's what we do. 33 for your wagon train of poop reference. Yeah, I, I think this is a situation where even the te- teammates are, are refusing to touch this one. It's very difficult when you actually sit down and look at this. The NBA owners have been talking about contraction and using this against the NBA players in their negotiation. And, and now you have an NBA player kind of contradicting what maybe the union wants to hear out of their players. Yeah, you know, you're allowed to have that free will. You're allowed to have your own opinion. But isn't this going to be a little bit tough going into the negotiations when your star player saying, I want contraction? I was going to say, it's not just any NBA player that's saying he wants contraction. It's LeBron James. It's the, you know, uh, up until this past offseason, who was the face of the face of the league. But uh, I think I think his face has kind of been uh, darkened in with shadow a little bit over the past couple of months between his activities and actions and things that he said. And the thing that I felt the most ridiculous about this whole scenario is afterwards, LeBron makes a claim that he doesn't he didn't know what contraction meant. And it's somehow ridiculous that 
despite the fact that he very accurately described what the concept of contraction is, because he didn't know it was called contraction, that's not what he was talking about. And that's a little bit naive. I don't know if it's naive or someone telling him in his ear that he needs to go back on his comments and be like, hey, that's not good for the league. That's not good for you. Try to get something out of this and make it a little bit more off of you and and making it the idea that you're misinformed. Now, here's the part where I struggle a little bit with this whole conversation. I personally don't necessarily disagree with LeBron's statement. It's entirely possible that there are too many teams in the NBA. I know that's not a popular opinion. Nobody ever wants to see jobs go away, and I don't want to see jobs go away either. If there was a way that we could have less teams and still have everybody keep their jobs, then I'd be all for it. But I know that do- that way doesn't exist. And as a result, I can't, I can't wholeheartedly get behind contraction. But, I mean, is it wrong? I mean, is, is he wrong? Would the lead not be more entertaining if there were less teams? I think he's right. I think it would be. I, I think it depends on, again, it's going to come back to the fans, back to the fan bases. What happens if you are one of the teams that contracted? You know, did you lose interest in the NBA because your team's not there? You know, a lot of people will. There will be some people who jump ships. But I, I think in general, when you think of contraction, it's, it's a negative view from a fan standpoint. And, and even in, in this case, yeah, the, the 75 people, players who possibly lose their jobs, depending on how, how many people, you know, how many teams actually get contracted. I, I, I think the, the biggest thing is, yeah, it would make it more competitive. But wouldn't the fact that actually having players on some of these teams that don't bolt immediately to these super teams, which is is now the new in vogue thing, wouldn't that help disperse some of the talent, you know, to make it more competitive? Instead, we have the Lakers who, thanks to the Paul Gasol trade and, and all the activities with a mid-level exception, have been able to sort of stockpile t- talent year after year after year. And, and the same thing with, with Boston. But in Boston's case, a few years ago, we weren't talking about them. You know, they, they yeah, they, they were in, in the situation of Oklahoma City or even Portland before this year where they stockpiled a bunch of talent, a bunch of young guys, and then they finally used that talent to bring in other veteran players to build a, a championship caliber team. Sure. And, and Miami, while they weren't able to stockpile anything because they had to clear the cupboards to get these three guys in, we're, we're kind of in a similar situation where they were a terrible team. And, and you know, if we would have t- been talking – you know, last year, if if LeBron's having this conversation, then one of the names that he's saying, you know, right now he's saying, imagine if you take Kevin Love off of Minnesota and add him to another team, Brooke Lopez, Devin Harris. If he was having this conversation last year, he'd be talking about that with Dwayne Wade. He'd be saying, imagine if we had Dwayne Wade and we took him off of that team and we put him somewhere else. There's no way he would do that. You know, him and Dwayne Wade are boys. He's not going to throw one of his friends under the bus. That doesn't mean he doesn't like Kevin Love or Lopez or Harris. In, in that case, Harris and Lopez could have been possible teammates. You know, the New Jersey Nets were supposedly in the running this offseason for him. I don't think he would have done it with Dwayne Wade. And the fact that they had just recently won a, a championship, how can, you, how can you take a team that way? We know their fan base, their fans in general, don't get it, maybe. Or, or not as passionate as some other fan bases. So, so, yeah, they could be on the chopping block. But that's tough because they're three, four years removed from a championship. And you're like... Okay, we're contracting you. Goodbye. Here, Dwayne Wade, go somewhere else. I that that's tough. You know, in, in Minnesota's case, in Los Angeles case, Memphis, Charlotte, what have they done? They've done nothing. Yeah, we'll get to the playoffs every once in a while, but it's tough. I, I do think it's kind of funny. Nobody ever talks about Golden State when they talk about contraction. Yeah. Why not? 
I mean, would anybody miss the Warriors? Would anybody miss the Clippers, honestly? No, and that's why I brought up the Clippers. That's a great team to contract just because there's another... I mean, the fan base has another team. Yeah. They could just eat immediately just... I mean, not saying that you could just switch, flip a switch and you're, you're a Lakers fan now, but it's not like you're leaving an entire city out in the cold. Yeah, and, and that's the same thing with Golden State is you do, you do have a team in California. Well, Sacramento, Sacramento is not that yeah. far. Yeah. So you have technically four teams in the California area, and you see that multiple times in professional sports, especially since California is such a high, dense population area, that you're going to have these groups of teams. But I agree with you. Why take away a Memphis team? And, and there's been even talks about Patino being Patino or Calipari being okay with a, a Louisville team coming and, and being pro ball. You know, there's there's still markets out there that I won't say that are viable, but that are untapped where you could move some of these teams that that might actually get some interest. Look at look at Oklahoma City. Yeah, we moved them from Seattle. They've had fan support in in Oklahoma. They definitely got embraced to a to an extent that was uh, much much more than I ever expected from Oklahoma City. So. Yeah, and you could easily move one of those California teams back to Seattle. Seattle is a passionate fan base. You know that they, they were devastated by the the loss of the Sonics. You know, you could easily move one of those, and it would be another viable option. But again, you would need an owner. You would need a new NBA arena. So, so there are obstacles when you do move anyone, and, and possibly the, the contraction thing might be the easiest out. One thing I will say about moving an NFL or NBA team compared to NFL, baseball, any other any other major league sport is that basketball is a sport that can easily exist in college venues. You can play NBA games in college venues. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies played in the pyramid, the same, uh, you know, the same stadium that the Memphis Tigers played in for, uh, I believe the first two or three years they were there. So, I mean, it's, it's not on, it's not unheard of. It's not necessarily ideal, but if you move a team into a place, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily have an NBA, have an NBA arena that they can play in, there's, there's a fallback, and they can they can make it work. Yeah. Speaking of uh, college sports, uh, we'll we'll actually uh, go ahead and hit on the the Ohio State suspensions. Uh, if you haven't heard uh, in the past week, or just decided to stop listening to sports, Ohio State had f- six players uh, suspended. Uh, five of them for five games next year. One for one. Uh, this includes Terrell Pryor, Dan Heron, Mike Adams. Devier Posey, Solomon Thomas as, as your main five. But these guys were suspended not for the bowl game, which is probably the biggest kind of faux pas or, or the biggest outcry from, from other fan bases that they're allowed to play in, in the Sugar Bowl and they're just deferring their actions. Well, I think this is I think this is definitely a case where the hypocrisy of the NCAA rulings has has come into full display. And I, I think it goes both ways because you can look at this and you could say that the NCAA is being hypocritical because they're allowing these star players to play in the big bowl game when everybody's watching and all the lights are on. But you could also look at it the other way where you, you, you're talking about a couple of players who got who got you know money to send back to their family uh, in small chunks and they got uh, you, you know discounts on some tattoos. Okay, that's a five game suspension. But $180,000 for Cam Newton is nothing. So pretty much, depending on how you want to look at it, this is a hypocritical scenario either way. Yeah, I, I know I know we want to talk about the Ohio State thing, but this is more, we're going to expand it out to, to just being the NCAA in general. You have a father where, where it states in the bylaws, if you seek cash or some sort of pay-to-play that student athlete should be suspended or have some sort of ramifications. It's stated there. 
NCAA, okay, we don't want that. We want Auburn in the game. We don't want TCU there. Maybe they have some some money issues in, in that sense. Who would really watch a, a, an Oregon TCU game? Okay, I get that. Maybe a little bit. You are trying to put a better product out there. But in the case of the Ohio State guys, it was self-reported by the university. They actually did suspend them or wanted to suspend them for the bowl game. And the NCAA stepped in and be like, no, we're not going to suspend them for that. We're going to delay the actual penalties for, for these kids into the next season. So it's not the kids' fault that they that they are allowed to play the Sugar Bowl. And, and I don't think the university should sort of penalize them even further for their actions. It's not like these guys stole. They didn't cheat. You know, it was simple as they sold something as their own property. Yeah, the the thing that I find interesting, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but the thing that I find interesting is that these kids are in trouble for selling their memorabilia primarily. The the discounts on the tattoos is a secondary issue because, as you mentioned, the, the sixth player involved in this whole scandal got a discount on his tattoo, but he did not sell merchandise. So that's why he got suspended one game and everybody else got suspended five games. So obviously the discounts on the tattoo is a minor offense in comparison to the selling of all this property. But the thing that kind of blows my mind is A.J. Green from Georgia got suspended at the beginning of the season because his he sold his jersey to an agent. And all the emphasis was put on the fact that he sold it to an agent. They never made mention the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, you just can't sell anything anyways. It was always because he sold it to an agent. And this, it's an incident where they sold it to a guy who runs a tattoo parlor. I mean, how does that get him ahead in life? It really doesn't. And the whole AJ Green thing, yeah, shame on him for selling it to an agent. And we, That's just dumb. Yeah, we hear that word really so much. Dumb. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Especially with with the atmospheres being as the way the way they are, you have a lot of coaches who are okay. It seems like with bringing agents on to kind of get an idea of these kids, what what's next. But how 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 how. <laughs> Five games for selling them for supposedly for family use. You know, Devere Posey's mom, I think, lives in Columbus. I think Terrell Pryor's mom lives in the same vicinity. So these kids were trying to help their family. Whether they should be allowed to play where this year in the bowl games, that's really not up to them. That was up to the NCAA, and they already made that decision. I know there were talks that all five of these guys were pretty much put up to vote. Jim Trestle took it out of his own hands and put it into the seniors' hands uh, for a vote to see if they would play in a Sugar Bowl. And, and all the seniors stood behind their guys saying that the five games is enough. And it's tough for these juniors because five games, that's almost a half of your season for next year. And now they're jumping into the whole idea, do you stay for next year? Hope that the penalties actually get shortened to maybe two or three games? Or do you just go pro and possibly work with a lockout? You know, what do you do? What would you do, Matt? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, of these five players, uh, Solomon Thomas isn't even a starter on this team. Mike Adams is an all-Big Ten offensive tackle. I think that he's got a future in the NFL, and if he were to go pro, um, I think he would do well for himself. But I'm not sure that Dan Herring is an NFL running back. I'm not sure that Terrell Pryor is an NFL quarterback. And Devere Posey, maybe, maybe he's a second-rounder. I think you're actually giving him a little bit more credit than he than he deserves. He's probably one of the, the better. He would be a first-day pick. I don't think he would get picked before the third round yeah. just because he's had a little bit more of a hands issue this year than he did in the previous years. 
I, w- I would say Dane Sansenbacher is a more complete wide receiver. I would agree. Uh, than, than Posey. Dan Heron, the, the, the big thing with that is you have to look at, he had a thousand yard rushing season this year when, when he actually was allowed to take that reins and be the number one starting running back. You have four guys in Jordan Hall, Jamal Berry, Carlos Hyde, and Rod Smith who might take carries from him next year. You know, he's not, as, as a running back, is he going to get much better to improve his draft stock? No, he's, he's definitely not. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't argue with you that point at all. And I, and I think this is a situation that's getting overlooked because the, the Ohio State football team is not going to be hurting for talent to sub in at these positions for five games next year. Yes and no. I, I think they're hurting for experience. Experience, yes, but even even with Pryor, say say he were to stay but to sit out, the games might not be that hard. Miami's you know new coach Al Golden down there wouldn't be too bad. Michigan State they still have both their running backs coming back next year, so that's going to be tough. But the defense isn't affected. You know, yeah, you lose the the three linebackers or the linebackers in Roll and Homan, so you have to replace those. But if Nathan Williams doesn't go, you're bringing back the majority of the defensive line. You're getting some younger guys in the secondary that might make it a little bit green back there. But offensively speaking, this team has kind of been live and die by prior. You know, if he has bad games, they're they're going to have issues. Take him out of those five games next year. You either have Kenny Guyton, who's taken a few snaps this year in garbage time, redshirt sophomore, redshirt freshman, Taylor Graham, who hasn't thrown a single pass, and possibly true freshman Braxton Miller. I, I that, that's tough. And, you know, even though Braxton Miller's the number two quarterback coming in this year, that's still tough to, 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 to take off that production of a trail prior. I, I, I don't disagree, but you've you got a season opener against the University of Akron. I could play quarterback for Ohio State and probably win that game. Go Zips! Your son could play quarterback and still win that game. And he's no bigger than the football itself, so that's saying something. Uh, Toledo, week number two, again. I, to win these games, you gotta, gotta, you got to have a quarterback who can turn around and hand the ball to the guy behind you. That's really all the more you need to win those games. And, uh, you know, by the time week number three comes around and they're going down to Miami, a, a team that's in flux, it's got a new head coach that, as I've said uh, on, on previous editions of this podcast, is definitely underwhelming. I don't, think, I don't think you can realistically expect big things from the University of Miami next year. Well, not next year. I, I think he's a good hire, like I said previously, f- for possibly the long haul. But this first year, no, there's going to be a lot of turmoil, turnover. So it's going to be tough. So let's say even if uh, even if they make it through that Miami game, or if they don't, whatever, they've still got a Colorado team that's, again, in turmoil. They've got a new head coach coming in, uh, somebody who has the fabulous record of, of coaching Chris Cooley to such amazing heights. And then, and then after that is when they get Michigan State. So even if even if you've got a young quarterback, a guy uh, who's who's taken you know three snaps or however many, or maybe he's taken none, he's got a lot of time. He's got two games to prepare for his first test, and I don't know how much of a test that's going to be. It's going to be definitely obviously a lot harder game than Akron or Toledo, but it, it's a game that they can win with a poor quarterback performance. I really honestly believe. And uh, Colorado. Another game they can win with a poor quarterback performance, and and Michigan State, yeah, maybe they need a quarterback in that matchup, but that's that's week five. If your quarterback isn't playing to some level of competency by week five, then you might as well just blow it up and start from scratch. It's just what they would do week yeah. six. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. It's just a very interesting situation. Just the whole NCAA this year seems to be a little bit muddled in everything. But one thing that isn't or might not be as muddled. 
well, at least during the season, is the NFL. Uh, they did release the Pro Bowl selections uh, this past week. Matt, any surprises or snubs that you might possibly have seen? Yeah, well, there's there's definitely, you know, we talked a little bit on the weekly rewind about the number one vote getters, Tom Brady, Michael Vick. We got that one right, guys. Good job, NFL fans out there. I, uh, Phillip Rivers, I think definitely fitting second string quarterback for the AFC. I was a little bit surprised that we didn't see Aaron Rodgers over in the NFC. Matt Ryan and Drew B, Drew Brees. Drew Brees is in there because of his name. He's not had a spectacular year this year. Matt Ryan, although he's had a good year, would you say it was a better year than Aaron Rodgers? I don't know that I would. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has really been the, the hot topic number one fan, almost number one fantasy quarterback that you've seen out there. Like, yeah, Matt Ryan. Sure. He has single-handedly fired two coaches. Hey, that's magic, right? That is magic. <laughs> uh, he, did, I, I would agree with that. You know, he's definitely had a better year than Breeze. Breeze is, Breeze has lost to the Browns. Yeah, yeah, he's had some issues with some personnel. Reggie Bush hasn't been there. They've been kind of goofy with the running backs with all the injuries they've had um, this season. But I agree with that. You know, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is, is definitely a guy that you could see on this on this actual team and, and, and doing really well. I think I think when you're looking at the running back situations, Peyton Hillis and Darren McFadden, neither one of these two guys on the roster. Okay, I, I had both of them on my fantasy team. That's the reason why I did so well. Arian Foster had a really good first four to five games, and then he kind of tailed off as the season went. And and Jamal Charles has actually been pretty decent, but with Kansas City, it's it's been more of the defense, hasn't it? It has, and, and Castle's played a lot better this year. But uh, I, I think when you're looking at the three guys they have in the AFC at the running back position, you got MJD, who had an okay year. I don't know that he met expectations, so it's hard for me to say that he's the number one running back in the AFC, and that's the way it was voted. Whatever. Arian Foster, I agree, completely and totally underwhelming after week five or so. Jamal Charles, his workload has been light. Yeah, because they also have Thomas Jones there, who's done really well. But I, I, I think carries 1 through 20 in a game, he's averaging like something ridiculous, like 6.8 carries in a game. And, and when the workload gets over 20, he tails off a little bit. But 6.8 yards per carry. To me, to me, Jamal Charles is your number one running back in the AFC. And I probably have Darren McFadden and Peyton Hills behind him. I, 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 don't get me wrong. I got respect for what Arian Foster has been able to do. Maurice Jones-Drew, like I said, has had a decent year just... Not really what I've expected of him, so I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time taking him. I'm just I'm, what I'm really glad is that Chris Johnson isn't on this list because he would have been on here by name only. Yeah, he definitely had an underwhelming year, is especially as supposedly the top running back coming into the year. Maybe his 2,000 yard ideas or, or smashing 2,500. 2,500. Okay, maybe he 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 sort of himself on the, on that point. Yeah. But I, I agree. I'm, I'm glad he's not on there. Uh, Peyton Hillis, I think maybe both him and McFadden are like uh, second team. So if none of these guys, th- those will probably be the first two put onto the roster. Um, wide receiver wise, it's good to see Dwayne Bow actually in there uh, for the AFC East or AFC side. He's actually had a really good year this year. I, I know there, there's been a few games thanks to Castle actually doing really well. Where he's been above and beyond of what I know he was a first round draft pick, but there were some issues last year where he didn't seem to possibly be that number one guy, and now he is. He's totally into the number one guy out in Kansas City, and that's good for him to get some recognition, especially as a second second year guy. Uh, who? Bo Dwayne, or- yeah. 
Uh, I think he's third year. Third year? Okay. But anyways, he's, he's, he's a young guy, nonetheless. I, I, I think that uh, the only real wide receiver pick that I have any issues with is um, I think uh, I think Greg Jennings was a little bit low. I don't know that I would have had him behind Calvin Johnson. I also think that uh, Reggie Wayne being ahead of Brandon Lloyd in the rotation is a little bit misleading because Brandon Lloyd has had a phenomenal year. I mean, he's had Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow thrown to him, so the, the way that he's been able to produce I think is quite impressive, uh, despite the lack of star power uh, sitting behind center. And, and that's, a, that's a tough thing to do in that situation, is if you're not having a quarterback being able to throw to you or, or having just quarterback issues, it, it, it's tough to excel as a wide receiver. I think the fun thing out of all this is when you think of the top three wide receivers of the past few years, Randy Moss, Tara Owens, Chad Oshosinko, none of them there. I, I think, you know, a lot has been made of the year that uh, Terrell Owens actually had. A lot of people were, were surprised and impressed by what he's done. But I think, uh, unfortunately, the way that he's been able to amass his numbers by stealing catches away from T.O.'s or from, from Oshosinko. So the the two, as, as we kind of predicted on the show here, have not coexisted necessarily as well as everyone had envisioned down in Bengal country. Yeah, and I think that's bad because on paper, that looked really good coming into the year. And, and they did have Cedric Benson all year who... who was a staple to their offense. Unfortunately, they didn't get the type of production that Carson Palmer's had earlier pre-injury. Because if, if, if you put those guys pre-injury Carson Palmer with those two guys, I, they would, they'd be lighting the place up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Much like, uh, you know, much like Ocho and Hoosh did. So it's, it's not without precedent. Uh, the, the one thing I will say, I was really, really glad to see is James Harrison got his starting spot in the pro bowl which means that that kicks in his uh, incentive bonus uh, that he has on his contract for making the Pro Bowl, which means that he is now reimbursed for his $500,000 or whatever it was in fines he's played this year so far. And he, and he might all lose those all next week or during the playoffs or even during the Pro Bowl, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think I think uh, a nice head-to-head collision by James Harrison in the Pro Bowl would be right up there with uh, with Pete Rose breaking the sternum of the uh, catcher for the Indians in the All-Star game. It'd be right up there. It, it would seem to make sense. Um, speaking of making sense, unless you have anything else to go, I'm I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> we out. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you've enjoyed the show with our special guest host, Bob Williams. I hope you did. Maybe I'll do better next time. Please send your suggestions on how we can improve the show or your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-646-A. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't worry. I'll be back as host next week. Yeah, thank you for putting up with me.